in this episode, I am joined by a member of our gaming group, Mr. Pickles, as we chat about creating adventures for campaigns and players, and I share why I like alchemy so much. Welcome to the Mythras Matters podcast, season one, episode 29, Pickled Adventures and Creating Potions. Welcome to Mithras Matters, a podcast dedicated to the Mithras rule set and all its supplements. As always, I am your host, Inwills, and welcome to October. I notice that this is episode 29. One more and we reach another milestone, 30 episodes. There have also been some new people watching the rules videos and commenting for clarification of certain points. So I'm hoping that this means that more people are playing the game and enjoying Mithras in all its forms. If you are one of those new people, then welcome to the podcast and thank you for listening. And welcome back to anyone who is just returning back to work after their summer break. If you are like me, you might listen to the podcast on your drive or walk to work. So if you do, welcome back as well. And don't worry, It will soon be the holidays again. Over the past few months, I have really enjoyed creating and playing the M-Space campaign. I've learned so much about the rule set and also I've had to make some decisions about the level of tech, lore and the overall feel of the campaign. With two adventures completed and the characters nursing their wounds and looking forward to spending their experience roles, we are now returning to Fantasy Mithras next week. The players have kindly let me have a week off to plan their new session and adventure. I don't know how you plan for your adventures, but if you're like me, you might have experienced those moments when there is absolutely nothing arriving in your creative brain to make a start on. Because of this, I decided to invite Mr. Pickles onto a Zoom call and the podcast to discuss as GMs about how we create and deliver our adventures. So I'll let Mr. Pickles introduce himself. I am Mr. Pickles, but you might know me as Bartleby Fumus in Inwill's Mithras games on Saturdays or as Mr. Newman on our M-Space games. Mr. Newman sounds so formal. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's more formal, I think, than Bartleby. Yes. Yeah. I do call Mr. Bartleby, Mr. Bartleby a lot. I've noticed (laughs) that. So obviously you're quite experienced with RPGs, would you say, Mr. Pickles? I've had about 16 years since I got my first D&D books. Um, and so I've, I've done a lot, of, a, lot, a lot more GMing than, than playing, but um, it's, it's been sparse at points here and there. Um, 
I've played quite a few systems, D&D 3rd Edition, um, a little bit of 5th Edition, Call of Cthulhu. I loved Warhammer Fantasy for quite a while. Um, and I've landed on Traveler, uh, Mongoose version. That's my favorite system at the moment. Yeah. And yeah, I think you've done quite a lot of sessions with Mongoose Traveler, haven't you? Yeah, I've been using that one for like, I think the last two years at least, if oh. not a couple more. So so what's the appeal? What do you look for in a system? You know, when, when you're looking at systems, what, what's the thing that you really look for in a rule set? I like for them to be really easy to improvise with. Um, that's my appeal with, with travelers. Everything just comes down to the same dice roll. Um, I like to think it's easier to, to learn when it's just two D six plus a modifier and that's everything. Yeah. Um, but I, I like for a system to be really workable with what I want to do. Um, yeah. and, and have a lot of flexibility. I, I don't like systems that are very rigid and you have to play this, this kind of way, uh, which mm. Warhammer tends to have with its career progression. I, I often think that one of the things I'm often saying is that, one of the things that I like, aspects that I like about Mithras is this idea that it's easily adaptable to a whole load of settings. So, you know, if we wanted to play like with M space in outer space, the rule set can do that. We, we don't need to learn a completely new set of rules, if that makes sense. Yeah, being able to switch genres with your system is a, a big appeal. And I think the the ability to sort of write in your own professional skills with Mithras it l- lends to that. You're not limited to the ones in the book. You can just decide what you need for the campaign or the story. Exactly. And I, and I think you were talking beforehand about the, the flexibility of the system. And that's what I like as a GM, that so I'm not constrained by the rules or anything like that. So let's talk about adventures because we're both GMs um, and we both have created adventures or campaigns for other people. And as a starting point, what, what do you, what's your inspiration for games or campaigns when, when you set off? Where, where, what do you pull from? Usually it's for movies, a lot of uh, bad movies that I think, you know what, I could do something similar to that. I like the idea and I could do it better. Mm. Um, there's there's a lot of movies like that. But if I'm just trying to write something, I'll, I'll just start writing anything that comes to my mind that I like as a concept, like monsters or people they could meet or places to be. And I just sort those ideas into something that might be kind of fun, might be kind of interesting. Um, and getting pictures online helps a lot for you see a picture of a monster and you're just like, yes, that's, that's the thing I didn't know I needed. Yeah. And I really like that. And I must admit the, um, I don't know if you remember the, the story of sewer Jack, uh, which was in our Mithras campaign that all started from the image of the ghoul in the rule book the core rule book, I saw that image, that drawing, it's just like a, a black and white pencil drawing and suddenly thought, oh, I want to create something from that. And, and that, that literally was my inspiration, just that um, picture. I do take a lot from films and I, I never realized this 
until I actually said one of the players mentions it. And I suddenly think, oh, yeah, that's the same plot line that we've got going <laughs> on. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I think films are really good and, and stories, you know, fiction. But to me, for me, I need to, it's just like, a, I call it a seed. It's all of a sudden when I just see one little picture or, like you said, a monster, and I suddenly think, oh, that would be really good to create something from. Are you a, um, you said that you like writing. Do you write the whole adventure down? Do you put it out in all those pros and things? Or are you a note maker? I, I uh, have always had an issue where I can't read effectively when I'm GMing. Like if yeah. I have a block paragraph, I just, I get blind or, or something. And I, I just, I can't read it and I can't illustrate it. So I write all of my notes very short and simple as bullet points for something that's in a scene or, or that's part of the encounter as the obstacle, the critical elements. And then I just fill in the rest as, as I see fit with the players really. Yeah. And I, that mirrors my style very much. And there was a, when I first started to GM, I would write a lot out, uh, the massive prose out. But now I'm very much of a, let's just put the key points down um, to, to, so I know where the story, the plot line's going to go. And then I sort of like sit back and like, let you guys do, do the work. Because <laughs> yeah. I know where it's going. But I think sometimes... I know where it's going, but I haven't written down how to get there. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, because I, I don't want to sort of like put in an adventure, the party needs to do this. I want them just to be able to do whatever they want. I, I, do you create adventures like that or are you more rigid? I, I used to be a very specific, like you need to find the rune of this ancient God to unlock this temple. And if you don't, then you're just, well, you, what are you even doing here? You're, you're dying. Yeah. And that's, that's just not fun. It's not fun to have players get frustrated with specific things like that. So yeah. I've tried more and more to, to let the players tell me what the answer is. Yeah. And I think in part, I've seen that from you and in, in a number of, of games um one comes to mind the end of the adventure where we were protecting the guild mistress yeah and guarding we the guild <laughs> i mean she was held at knife point and <laughs> yeah. like it, it didn't look like there was any answer there so it was just it felt like you were waiting for us to to do what we were to do and of course i shot some lightning but yeah you you um, exacted your judgment from on high and that's what i like I, because otherwise I feel it's almost like a guessing game and I hate it when the players are so like trying to guess what I've got written down on my sheet. And I hate <laughs> that um, because I think then what I do as a GM is that I start to semi-direct them and start to say, do this, do this, do this, or it would be good too. And, and mm -hmm. I think that really detracts from the story. I, what, what, have you ever started a, a session or an encounter or a series of adventures and changed it? Yes, 
I, I used to have a group uh, when I played in-person games way back in my early days when I wasn't as good of a GM as I might be now. Um, I had players who would sort of get um, antagonistic as if it's a versus thing, um, the players versus the GM. And that would get me frustrated. And I'd start to be like, well, no, you didn't just, you didn't foil me. Yeah. And, and that created some, some changes that were not in their favor and not in the favor of fun, really. Yeah. Um, but recently there are just moments where players will choose to go in their own direction. And especially when it deviates from what I've already sort of idealized as the plausible places people will go. Mm. It's a, when the players really want to do something, you kind of just have to humor them and try and change the clues to fit the new place. And, And I think when I first started to GM, even after the long break, I was very much in the mindset of, this is my campaign. This is my adventure. You are you, as in the players, are coming into my game, and I'm in charge of that game and that world and campaign. And that's how I started. And I think I've really improved from there because now I think of it more as we as in me as the GM, but you as players are co-creating that world. And the encounters or the adventures can be quite fluid because of that co-creation. And I I never know whether or not I say, for example, let's take a classic example of a castle that players have to infiltrate. I never know whether or not I should put something in there which is the way in and get them to actually find it or whether or not I should just say, okay, then how do you want to take it? Well, what would be, which way would you um, GM it? Would you go with here? I'm going to suggest a way. There's a way set up already or leaving it quite open and letting the players decide. It's really a fine line. I feel. Um, because on the one hand, I started out with, um, like being very much, you guys do whatever you'd like to do. I'm going, you ask me questions, I'll give you answers. Mm. Um, and players that I was with didn't necessarily know the, or know know the questions to ask, but it's sort of characters should know certain questions to ask, I think. Um, and I feel that's triggered often. Like when you have anybody who has the tactic skill. I've noticed you, you usually have people roll that just for that information that they should know um, yeah. at least. And, and Oh, go ahead. No, all I was going to say is that it brings up a really interesting discussion that I've had with many people about, should it be the, the intelligence of the player finding ideas or solutions or the intelligence of the character finding solutions. And Call of Cthulhu has that wonderful, I think it's called an idea role, when yeah. they can roll it and that gives them some um, some hint where to go. And I, I think the, the classic example I always give is that in Dungeons & Dragons, you would always have a mage with, say, 18 intelligence. But 
So they would probably know the answer to a lot of things, you know. And, yes. and if there was a riddle, what I feel is that I don't really want the player to try to solve the riddle. I want the character to solve the wizard, uh, the riddle. So you, you might have um, a very intelligent and intellectual player playing a barbarian, not that I should stereotype, but a barbarian with five intelligence. Now, <laughs> would that barbarian meant, uh, figure out that riddle? My answer would be no. You know, so can the player actually contribute to that discussion? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I have a thing against riddles, um, not because I'm bad at them. I am, but it's just if it if it, riddles are for the players to figure out, I feel otherwise it's yeah. just a dice roll. And if it's just a dice roll, then it's sort of just a roadblock. And yeah, you can get stuck on a stuck door or a riddle. It's really just the same. Exactly. And I know that um, some people would say, oh, I want a bit of the player to be involved with the discussions, I say, about a riddle. And for me, I sort of like think so. So, you know, Longshank's EPG is um, a fencer, as in uh, on guard fencer. So he knows a lot about combat. So should he be able to have an easier combat skill role? Because the player knows more about combat. And I just sort of think, where, where do you where do you stop the line of players actually, you know, contributing to their character's understanding of the world, which I don't know. I don't know. That there's lots of different answers, and I'm definitely going to have a roundtable discussion with a whole load of people <laughs> um, because I know there's various different points of views. When uh, we've established that we both sort of like take inspiration from a number of places, and it sounds like we're both quite note takers rather than a lot of pros. Well, what about encounters? You know, those, whether or not it's a social interaction or a fight or in uh, uh, M space trying to hack a computer, how, how do you go, how do you plan those encounters? I'm really interested in what you have, how your thought process, but also what do you actually have down on the piece of paper? Uh, during my sorting a process of going through all the notes that I've taken of different things I want. I try and make about three major encounters per adventure. Mm. Um, and usually one of those, at least one of them is a combat encounter. You get to the final scene where you're fighting at the castle, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but I try and make the other two generally either investigation or social or just so something hopefully interesting. An obstacle is, is often a good one. Uh, and I, I feel like that's how most stories are written is you have the, the characters at the village, they go on a road trip to the, the castle or mountain, they have obstacles along the way, and they have a big fight at the mountain or castle. So that's generally how I try and try and write them. I, I think for me, I and this might sound, I, I just hope that me talking about the adventures don't demystified the <laughs> sessions for you in that when, when we're actually playing but i actually have a a document that actually says possible encounters and then i list three to five and i literally have no idea when i'm going to play them 
And I just sort of like, it, it's a bit like in the, the recent M space adventure, um, the, the sniper one, the, the one um, when you got sniped at and you and Newman valiantly saved the Patreon. Um, that wasn't the first bullet point encounter that I had set up. It was sort of like number three. And I just oh. thought, I just thought, oh, this is the right time and place for this, you know, and and went for it. Yeah. And and I and I think that's the I, I do put sometimes I get to the end of an adventure um and I haven't used all the encounters. So I can just sort of like reapply them <laughs> to to the next um adventure that we do. So I don't actually have this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. I just have, here's three or five encounters in Wills. You can use them when you want. I, I think, did you get attacked by some ruffians at one point? I can't remember whether or not I used that one or not. Um, um, I don't think any, like, on foot ruffians. The, yeah. So that, I mean, we went to the mine and there were the ones on the ATVs, but. Yeah. Um, so that was a, uh, an encounter that I had planned for, but I will reuse um, elsewhere. <laughs> I, I do. Do you ever make up encounters as you go along? Yes. And it's usually because the players are prompting me to, because um, I have the, the, well, are they there saying encounter, make up an encounter, please. <laughs> Is that what they're doing? <laughs> oh, I had a, uh, one of the adventures in, in a campaign I've, I've written, is is very open-ended on how the players try and go about things by giving enough clues they should have something and it starts out with them getting information and they get attacked by somebody so it gets a little personal and they have to figure out what's going on and where to go so it's like we're in a big city where do you go and on my notes i have police station because uh, i have a contact there nice. i have like uh, news stations perhaps and my players just latched onto the idea of hearing another person uh, hearing that another person was stabbed, they go to the hospital, and nice. I just kind of screech the stop like, "Uh, the hospital? Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do we really want to go to the hospital? Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. We we want to interview this guy that got stabbed to see what information he can give us to you know figure more yeah. things out. And so it was just a, a situation where I was like, okay, we're going to the hospital then. And and I think that shows a, a sign of a good GM. Because what we're doing is not saying this is the road to go down. What we're saying is that, okay, how do you want to get there? And to suddenly be able to, you know, swap to a different encounter or an encounter that the players are actually generating themselves. I, I think that's really positive. Do Here's a question for you as a player. Do you think I create encounters when I'm GMing? I... <laughs> I honestly have no idea. I, I, I it, it all just seems like it's what you have in your mind, at least. But it's it's impossible for me to know if you're reading off of your notes or if you're just inventing something to to work with us. Because it all seems to be the same quality level. If you're if you're just inventing random encounters, it doesn't feel like it's dipping from. Well, that, that's that's good to know. That's good to know. Just to let you know, the the bomb that was put in front of your trailer, and <laughs> that was completely made up. I suddenly was, I was just GMing, and I suddenly thought, oh, 
that would be a good idea to try out. And so I, I literally <laughs> just weaved that together um, as we were going along. So there are a lot of completely made up um, encounters that I do. That I take a lot of inspiration from you lot at the, as the players and what you're actually doing. I mean, Mithras, there are so many. <laughs> Sometimes I just think it's pointless writing anything down. I might as well just <laughs> go with the with the, the flow. How do you match difficulty level? Because this is something that I really find difficult in the sense of making an encounter that is dangerous for the characters. So it's not too easy but it provides a challenge, but at the same time, it's not wiping them out in the first um, role. How do you, how do you think about that balance when you're making encounters? I I tend to make my encounters and adventures, uh, as I call it, player agnostic. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I don't know who I'm going to be having. So I try and make it kind of general and that a basically balanced group should be able to handle at least one of three paths. Mm. Um, and I can't say that's really working for me because I'm running my campaign for two different groups, uh, two different groups of players going through the How same interesting. story. And one of the groups is having the easiest time. Uh, it's, it's almost like they read my mind. They just keep slapping down my enemies before I can even make them a, a wow. threat. It's, it's just the, they, they have these plans where I'm like, yes, yes, mm. <laughs> let's, let's do that. Um, and so I thought, oh, maybe I'm making this campaign way too easy. Maybe I should be upping the challenge a little bit because yeah. it's crazy. And the, the the other group, it's a bit different. Um, and I'm starting to think, wow, maybe I made this campaign a little too hard. It, it's it's a strange, strange sensation. That's really interesting that you're doing the same campaign with two different groups. I, I find that absolutely uh, because... You know, it's it's there's that saying: comparison only leads always leads to disappointment. <laughs> Just like that. You, you've, got, you, you've got two different groups of people coming at the same uh, campaign, which I think is remarkable. It'd be really interesting to see the different way the players approach situations and how they actually move through those. I know D&D 5th edition has, do they have like um, challenge rating points in 5th edition? So you can sort of like say, this is um, a challenge rating for this group. You add them all up and it says 50. So you have to make the monsters add up to 50, otherwise it would be too easy. But I really find that with Mithras especially, a, a dice roll can make such a difference to the, the whole encounter. You know, if if someone fails and does a fumble, you know, things can go badly. But at the same time, if they succeed with a crit, all of a sudden everything can change quite remarkably. Do you get that feeling with, um, say, Tra- Mongoose Traveller that you GM? Is that do the dice rolls actually make uh, an impact, have an impact on the adventure or the progression through the adventure? Well, I would say yes. There's not as dramatic, I would say, as a percentile system. Um, uh, with, with 2d6, you have less of a range of, of rolls. 
Um, but I, I try and just use it as really a storytelling, uh, I guess, a marker of where how well they were succeeding or how mm. badly they failed. You can get a pretty poor role. Um, and I just try and make that as a situation where an avenue is shut down, but there are other avenues opening up. Like if you're trying to pick a lock, you might fail and make noise and a guard is coming to open the door now. So a new yes. challenge situation, but you're still, you're not blocked out. Um, I, I have a question, I guess, and you, you can strike this if you want, uh, but it's in the same vein is that getting that 1% role on evade to, for Newman to save the angel bright from the, the bullet coming in at us. Mm. I, I really wondered at that moment, what would have happened if I failed? Well, she would have died and we would have lost the job. I I think I I think for for that situation in my head so that bit wasn't planned at all so the only thing that I had down on my piece of paper was um a sniper will attack you know and and that's that's literally all I had I had the sniper stats but I I never like almost like predicting what might happen and very much a case of, okay, then people can do whatever. And I I think at that point, it's a really interesting um, question because I I haven't thought about it. I haven't thought about what if that hadn't been a crit, you know, because I don't need to think about it. And and thinking back on the um, encounter I, I think for for me, I don't think Angel Bright would have been in. This sounds really awful now. I don't think she was in any danger. And what I did was that I used your crit roll to increase the story value. So rather than just saying, you know, or you dive out the way, I thought, oh, I can use this now. Let's see how I can develop the story from that critical role does that does that answer the question i'm not too sure whether or not i've answered yeah, the question it, it or not. does i was just it was really stood out to me as a moment where i was like yes i'm really glad i got this good role and it was very satisfying to get that 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 story progression yeah. of my character being able to save the day who doesn't want that and, and but afterwards i was wondering like wow, what a gamble on Inwell's part. She would have been dead on the ground, brain splattered. and Yeah, like- ex- exactly. And Or she would have somehow be survived. Or I, I, One thing that I, as a GM, that I'm really passionate about is, and you'll probably hear me talking about it, in the sense that there's a standard role, there's a standard success, but there's also that critical success. And whenever people get a critical success, I want to reward them in some way. And I often use the phrase, and you'll hear it a lot, that I say, okay, but because that was a critical, I'm going to give you this, you know, or I'm going to give you this, or you tackle it to the ground because it was a critical, you know, and I, I'm really passionate about this idea that if it is a crit, then there has to be something um, fantastic, you know. And one of the in the M space um, adventure when you were going to the trailer, um, 
um, I was going to say Hasra, but Minsk does a maneuver with the car and he, he sort of like knocked him and carried on driving. And it was a good maneuver, but I didn't want to increase the effect of it because it was only a standard. Uh, it wasn't a crit. And, you know, with the crit, I think I would have said something like, you know, the tail end whacks the, the guard and sends him flying over to, to the trailer and to sort of like splatter on the trailer. So I'm always trying to think this is only just a success. This is a crit or this is a fumble. And then try to weave my story around that. Do you, what do you think is the most, this wasn't on our immediate question, so a question sheet, but do you think there's a skill that GMs should have or they're naturally good at it to actually weave this narrative through the story and keep everybody engaged? Do you think there's a, a or maybe not one skill, maybe a few skills? Yeah, well, the first one that comes to mind is you need to be having the ability to to improv. If you if you yes. have to read off of your notes in order to DM, that's uh, that just you may as well be playing a text based RPG. Yeah, um, I agree. And, and I think coupled with that, you need to have a little bit of uh, I want to say humility about about your mm. your entire setting. Like players are there to to add flavor and to to do stuff, um, and I feel. Uh, by being humble about your own setting, accepting that players will come in, that, that, that allows you to make some even greater narratives. Yeah. Now, one of the but, things that, that that idea of humility, I try to rejoice in the players' good roles, even though they it might put a part of the adventure to, to pot, you know, what happened because of that good role. And I think when you get any of the players get a crit or they do really well, I don't want to be, I don't want to sort of like sat there thinking drat. Uh, oh, you spoiled <laughs> that. Now. I always want to say that's brilliant. Well done. So this is going to happen. Well, do you yeah. ever, do you ever fudge a role? Oh, I thought you were talking about Mithras. I was going to say, how would I fudge a role? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Cause you, when you play Mongoose Traveler, do you roll live? On something like roll twenty, or was it hidden? The wells. I do roll um, on roll twenty uh, live, so everybody can see it. I used to roll my own dice, and and I would fudge the rolls in that case because I'm the DM or GM, and and you know, I'm there to make the story fun, not necessarily perfectly yes. rules oriented. Um, but I've found it, it's easy enough to still make a story fun, even when the luck is not in your player's favor. Oh, very much um, so. And it's all about how you would choose to interpret the roles. And um, I, I, yeah. And I, one of the things that often worries me on World 20, because I don't fudge the roles, any roles that you see are the real roles because they're out in, but you know, when we were playing M space last Saturday and that, to hit came up as a 12 that damage came up at 12 points I'm, I'm at that point i was literally thinking have i killed this character you know because 12 <laughs> points is a huge amount you know it's, yeah and say for example you had no armor and and it was a head to hit 
I think that'd that, just be sad. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's just sort of like I sometimes feel that um, playing live doesn't give me that as a, on roll twenty and everybody can see the rolls. Somehow, I it it worries me more. Yeah, because I I can't budget at the last moment. It's there, you know. I can't yeah. do anything about it. And it, that's what worries me about it. But at the same time, especially with M space, you know, if you get your arm blown off, then there's things like cybernetics or whatever. And even in a fantasy setting, it would be interesting to play a one-armed character. You know, if it wasn't, I think if you lost both legs, that's going to be harder. But, you know, it's, <laughs> I, I think that would be, Difficult. I think going back to the skills, I do think improvisation is one of the most important skills to have as a GM and to actually be able to think on your feet and actually create things as the players are involved in the encounter or the, the campaign. Do if say for example there's somebody listening to this who really would like to become a GM, uh, what what advice would you give to them? I know what I would give to them, but I, I really want you to say yours first. I mean, I, I'd say write what makes you feel passionate. Uh, there's there's nothing worse than trying to trying to write something you're not passionate about. So you, you got to make sure that it's something you, you are really excited about. And hopefully you find players that are also excited about it, but um, know your system. That's, that's a good thing to, to have on hand. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it's always good to be the one there that can at least know where to look up the answers. Yeah. Uh, especially when you're playing a weird system. Yeah. Or create something that is um, uh, uh, the rule is, there and implemented but saying to players right this is what we're going to do now but you know i'll check up the rules later because sometimes yeah. i i don't want the flow of the game to be broken so sometimes i, I agree with you you need to know the rule set um, but at the same time it goes back to this improv skill that you can make a decision you know yes. there and then and uh, I like what you were saying about passionate, about a setting being passionate. And I, I was trying to think whether or not I create a setting that I'm really passionate about or whether or not I'm creating the campaign for you as players. You know, what, would I have it differently if it was just me playing in, in that setting? I, I'm not too sure. Um, I think that's a really interesting point i think the other thing that i would say a gm has to have is that command over the narrative to actually yes i, I think a lot of the times dice rolls can be very sterile and it's just a, and they sort of like say oh yeah i succeeded and i really think the the gm has to breathe life into those dice rolls and actually tell the story what's happening. And I have seen a lot of GMs sort of like say to the players, okay, then tell me what that looks like, you know, and sort of like encourage them to be uh, in the narrative as well. Is there anything you 
regret about being a GM? Anything that you hate? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's I, I really like writing and setting up ideas to, to present to players, but then there's some times where I'm just like, uh, it takes a lot of energy to GM, I feel. I don't know about you, but for me, it's just, it's an exhausting thing. And sometimes it's just a day where it's like, I feel like not thinking as hard. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's interpreting those dice and breathing life into it takes a lot of energy. Yeah. Um, and, that, and I no think no matter how it, simple your system. Yeah. And I think it is tiring, but I often say once we finished our session on, um, on the Saturday evening, I can't sleep afterwards because my brain is constantly churning around. I've uh, thinking about rules or situations or self-reflecting. I was like, oh, what could I have done better, you know, for, for, for next time? I, I think, I, I do think my advice to any GM would be to, to enjoy it. There's some people who really like GMing. I love it. Um, but there's not, I don't think everybody is a GM, you know, definitely I, not. Yeah. I think some of them are actually um, players and then that's it. So I'm going to bring it to a close there, Mr. Pickles. We, I am going to ask you to come back because I'm really interested in your view about creating campaigns or adventures for solo characters, you know, and just, <laughs> is it, is it possible? Can we do that? Have we had any success with it? And actually unpick that a little bit in a later episode, but thank you so much for coming along and contributing to the Mythos podcast. I really well, do. Thanks for having it. me on the show. I always like being in here and hanging Excellent. out for a little while talking about campaigns and role-playing. Yeah, brilliant. I'll definitely have you back then. I really enjoy chatting and listening to other GMs, and I would really like to host a roundtable discussion about creating campaigns, adventures, encounters, and characters. Having the informative and insightful chat with Mr. Pickles actually did stir up the embers of adventure creation. And now I have a spark of an idea to work on before our next playing session. Remember, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, then why not drop me a line or message? You can email me at the inwills at gmail.com or send me a message on the various forums and discords I frequent. I'm always looking for reviews or interviews or even just chats with people. So if you are interested, then drop me a line. If you are familiar with our Mithras campaign, you might be aware of an NPC called Annalyn. He actually hired the party to head into the forest to grab some recipes from his old home. Bonus points if you can remember his assistant's name, who accompanied the party and kept some of them up all night. I've always liked the idea of crafting skills within Mithras. The ability to craft your own items and even make them better quality than normal 
really appeals to me and something that I will be making a rules video on in the future. Whether I'm playing an RPG or MMOs, there are two crafting skills that I get drawn to, cooking and alchemy. Both have the advantage of creating consumable items, meaning that there will always be a market for them. Plus, both have the ability to bring about certain effects for whoever consumes them. Details about alchemy came out in the Thenler supplement Sorandib. Hopefully I said that right. This also contains the rules for creating golems that I have used several times already in my campaign. To craft the potions correctly, you need the combination of a law skill, knowing which herbs to pick, and a, and a crafting skill to actually create the potions. The preparation of the potion consumes a magic point, so players can actually create their potions beforehand and either sell them or consume them later. One aspect of the potion making that I really like is the range of potions. Not only are there different strengths and volumes, but they cover effects from causing or improving sleep to transforming into a creature. If you're looking for a great character concept or even a new NPC in your campaign, then I encourage you to check out the alchemy rules. Guaranteed fun for all involved or your crushed herbs back. And that's it. Another episode of Mithras Matters completed. Don't forget you can check out all my content by following my YouTube channel and the campaign areas on World Anvil. I really appreciate your support and do check out the Tapper Talk forums and the Discord. All links are in the show notes. So until next time, have a great month of gaming, everyone, and I will chat to you all again in November. Until then, I hope that all your opposed worlds succeed and provide you with a well-deserved special. Thanks for listening, everyone. See ya. Bye. The content of this podcast is covered by the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license, so please give appropriate credit if you are sharing or copying any part of this podcast. Thank you.